idea is to take different themes each weekend and give you the opportunity to text in the questions that you would prefer. Also, during the week, you can go on Facebook and, and select questions. <laughs> I was running from backstage. And uh, also, we have a question each week from one of our other campuses, so we'll be looking at that here in just a moment. Get your phones out. In just a minute, you'll have the opportunity to text in the uh, question that you want. In the meantime, joke of the week. Frog goes to a bank because the frog needs to borrow some money. Goes in to a loan officer whose name is Patty Wack. He hops up on the desk of Patty Wack and says, I need to borrow $5,000. Patty says, well, do you have any collateral? The frog says, no. Do you have any credit? The frog says, no. Patty says, I can't loan you $5,000. You don't have credit. You don't have collateral. So the frog hops a little closer and whispers, if you loan me $5,000, I'll give you $500. So Patty, never heard a proposition like that in her life, stands up, excuses herself, walks over to a co-worker and says, I've got a frog who wants to borrow $5,000. He tells me, that he doesn't have any credit, he doesn't have any collateral, but if I'll loan the money anyway, he's going to give me $500. What's going on? And the colleague says, that's a kickback, Patty Whack. Give the frog a loan. <laughs> Only the finest humor here. Here are your options. Text 22333. Enter max 1, max 2, max 3, max 4. Corresponding with the questions you want, you can vote for two questions. You can vote one, two at once. What's wrong with sex outside of marriage? What's the big deal about pornography? How can a marriage recover from betrayal or adultery? Matthew chapter 19, 
verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now press the pause button there for a second. Look at that question. Is it lawful, is it acceptable for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? What attitude toward marriage does that question reflect? What 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 degree of seriousness does that question reflect toward marriage? And look at the phrase, not is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, but for any reason. For any reason. In other words, if is it it's okay, right? Or is it okay? for me to, when I decide it's time to move on to spouse number two, for me to do so, right? I mean, is, is it lawful for me to do this for any reason? Now look at the answer of Christ. We're going to really dissect it. Look at the first phrase in verse four. He answered and said to them, have you not read, pause, have you not read? He didn't say, Have you not felt? Have you not seen in your society? He didn't say that. He didn't say, have you not talked to your buddies or to your friends at work? He didn't say that. Where does he take the religious leaders? Ironically, he's talking to religious leaders. Where does he take them for the authoritative response? Anyone? He's taking them to the Bible He's taking them to the Bible. When you want to answer this question, when you talk about the home, the first place you go is not to the television or not to the movies or not to what all your buddies or friends say. And this is very important. You go to the Bible. If you're a believer in God and a follower of Christ, if you're not, then I guess you don't. But if you but if you are, then Jesus says, okay, have you not read? Now, it's always to me fascinating to imagine Jesus saying, have you not read? Because he wrote, he inspired the Bible. And so basically he's saying, I told you this already, but we can go over it again. Okay? Have you not read? And he takes them back to the beginning. Look what he wants them to know. Have you not read that he who made them, when? At the beginning. Takes them all the way back to the start. He walks them into the blueprint room, into the design studio. He takes them back. He said, this is, where, this is how it was created. Have you not read that he who made them, our maker, he who made them and decide, made them, he decided to make them male and female. He decided to make them male and female. This was his idea. This gender thing was his idea. And it's a good idea in God's ideas. It's a good idea. He said, I've decided that some of you are going to be men, some of you are going to be a woman. That came from God, along with the color of your skin, along with the gifts and the abilities and strengths and bents and talents that you have. All this came from God. So look what Jesus is doing. He's not taking us into the court of public opinion, is he? He said, we're going to talk about marriage here, and we're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and we're going to talk about Adam and Eve. And we remember the story, we remember it well, how God created the universe and I created the earth and everything in it. And then he created man. And man was given time to experience and experiment and experience creation. 
until it was decided that it was not good that man not have a partner. And so God decided, I'm going to give Adam a partner. And you know what he did? He caused a deep sleep to come over Adam. That's why we husbands love to take naps. Because we know that God does his best work when we're asleep. And so, wives, next time your husband takes a nap, you take it, say, go, honey, go sleep, go sleep. We'll let God do his greatest work. I'm just kidding. So Adam, a deep sleep came over him, and God removed the rib and formed out of it a woman. And when Adam woke up, he thought he was dreaming, because what he saw was so beautiful, so precious, so soft, so luscious, so tender, so inviting, so compelling. He looked at that woman that God had made, and he said, oh, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, unlike any other living creature that's on this earth, the fish is not like me, the, the lion is not like me, the zebra is not like me, the donkey's kind of like me, but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but none of the other animals are like me, but when I see you, I see that you and I came from the same idea, you came from within me, we were once, you were once right here, you were my rib. So woman, man, ish and isha in Hebrew, we kind of come from the same name, man and woman. We're, we're, we're just kind of the same source. We were made to be together, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. And God walked Eve down the first wedding aisle as it was carpeted with pine needles. And he gave Eve to Adam. And Adam said, hubba, 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 this is the woman of my dreams. It was unlike anything that Adam had ever dreamed or imagined. And Jesus was there. Jesus, God on earth, was there at the first wedding. And now somebody has the audacity to come up to him and say, hey, is it okay if I just kind of tear apart this marriage anytime I want to? As more I read this passage, the more I see the control that Jesus had. It's a wonder he didn't go ballistic. So what do you mean? Don't you know this was a work of God? He says, for this reason, we're in verse 5. For what reason? For the reason that this is God's idea and it's God's good idea and it's God's creation and it's God's design. That God decided that most of us, not all of us, some are called to celibacy and to singleness. But most of us are better off with a partner than we are alone. So for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined, or as the old King James Version says, shall, be, shall cleave. A man shall leave and cleave. A wife shall leave, a woman shall leave and cleave. We leave behind mother and father. That's part of the natural step. Mom and dad move from leaders to consultants. They release that child. Moms and dads, sometimes we need to do that better. Release them into that marriage. Let them begin leading their lives. Let the leaving take place so the cleaving can begin. And the cleave here is that great Hebrew word for glue. There's a gluing that takes place between the man and the woman. A gluing that is so intense, that is so intimate. And God takes this so seriously that Jesus says, The two shall become one flesh. 
Husbands and wives, when God sees you, he sees one person. Couples. When God sees Max, he sees Maxillin. When God sees Deanlin, he sees Dinaax. He sees one person. He doesn't see two. This is a work of God. This is a work. Just every bit, check me on this, but every bit as miraculous as when a person places their trust in Christ, God in the spiritual realm moves them from the darkness into light. Right? He moves them from lost to saved, from having no name to having his name, from having no future to having all future, from being uh, rebels to being redeemed in the same manner, the same power that does that. When a man and woman come together before God and say, we want to make a covenant with each other. Folks, this is not a business negotiation. This is not something that is, is, has to have a civic acknowledgement. This is a work done in heaven. What God has joined together, right? What God, so God takes that man, he takes that woman, and he intertwines them. He knits them together. They become one flesh, he says. Those are my words. Those are the words of Christ. They become one flesh. So something wonderful happens. Now, why does he do that? He does that because you can serve God better with a husband than you can without one. You can serve God better with a wife than without one. Again, in some cases there are exceptions. The Apostle Paul, the most famous. But some, most of us do better serving the cause of God with a partner than we do by ourselves. Right? The purpose of marriage is not so you'll have somebody to fix you food or to cut your grass. It's not. And if you think it is, I'm not betting any money on your marriage surviving. It may be, sound a little cynical, but I've just seen it happen too many times. Because if you think the purpose of marriage is so you can have somebody who's going to take care of you and satisfy your physical, your sexual, your emotional, and your financial needs, that person will fail in your eyes eventually because you are insatiable. If you think that marriage is about you, marriage won't work because marriage, listen, marriage is not about you. Marriage is about God. Marriage is about a man and a woman deciding we can bring more honor to God married than we can alone. We can do better together than apart. The sum of our parts is, the, the, well, how does that phrase go? The parts together are greater than the sum of them. We do better together than we do alone. And so God is honored when a man and woman come together on this triangular marriage that we talk about. Man, woman, God, and as we each draw closer to God, we draw closer to each other. That's how it works. That's how it works. And so that's God's plan from the beginning. And so Jesus says, now if you want to talk about this disharmony, this ultimate disharmony in the home, which is divorce, let me take you back to the beginning. I want you to see the dream that I have. This is the dream that I have for every home. Well, then they raise the question, verse 7, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? Why then do we see examples where divorce was permitted by Moses with a certificate of divorce? Here's a very, it's a very interesting answer in verse 8, and I'm not sure I understand it all. 
Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. It seems to me that Jesus is acknowledging that there are times in a marriage in which hearts grow so hard, so hard, the hardness of a heart, that hearts grow so hard that that marriage is bringing more pain than it is purpose. And that there are those occasions in the hardness of the heart. Let let me come at it from this angle. When a couple get married, they are the picture of soft-heartedness. The wedding, as they stand before the preacher and they're, you know, ready to say, I do. I mean, soft heart. There is no hardness in their hearts toward each other. Nothing but tenderness. Nothing but, oh, honey, I love you. What do you need? What do you want? I'll do this for you. I'm so happy we're in this together. There is no hardness of heart there. It's just softness. It's tenderness. They'll forgive everything. They'll stick together forever. It's it's two soft, putty-like hearts. Putty-like hearts coming together, and they're intermingling like it's supposed to be. Soft, tender, receptive, forgiving, loving, tender hearts coming together, right? But then, as the years pass, reality sets in, and debts come, and work starts, and diapers come, and bodies age, and mistakes are made, and people are working and separated and distracted and raising teenagers and going through economic crisis and this and that. And there is the possibility that somebody starts hardening up. They just kind of get hard in life. They get angry at life. They get angry at God, get angry at the circumstances they're in. Maybe they get hurt. Maybe they, they trust He trusts her with a confidence and she betrays a confidence or she... She makes a promise, hears him make a promise, and he doesn't keep that promise. And rather than stay working on the relationship, it's easier just to drift farther and farther and farther apart until at some point you've got two rocks sitting on the same sofa. Two hard hearts. Is this making sense? Two boulders in bed with each other. No affection, really. No tenderness. Just hurt. Hearts harden for two reasons. One is because of sin. Because we get so selfish. Because we tell God, I know what I want more than, I know what's good for me more than you do. We just get into sin. We get into adultery, into alcoholism, into greed, into tampering and building up and promoting self. And that creates a hard-hearted person because selfishness creates a hard heart. There's another reason that our hearts get hard, and that's because we get hurt. Our spouse hurts us, cheats on us, lies to us, betrays us, runs off, comes back, even physically abuses us. And out of a defense mechanism, sometimes a heart will harden up just for survival mode. Does that make sense? And that woman or even that man will say, I just, I'm not, I can't trust him. I can't take anymore. And what you see there is a calcification of the heart. It seems that Scripture acknowledges that sometimes hearts get so hard that in this lifetime, they're not going to soften enough for that marriage to survive. Usually that happens when, during a season of extended sexual infidelity, 
extended sexual infidelity or as a result of physical or emotional abuse. Those hearts are so hard. I believe those are exceptions. From the beginning, it was not so. But acknowledge that there are those situations where those hearts are just not going to soften. And that perhaps there may be an occasion in those situations where divorce is the only option. But it must come at the last resort after every possible effort to save that marriage has been expended. Are you thinking about getting a divorce? Are you? Can I beg you to reconsider? Can I beg you to try one more time? Can I beg you, can I remind you that everything is at stake right now about your children and your grandchildren? Can you give them a legacy of a family that didn't give up, that tried one more time, that didn't throw in the towel? Can you can you lean into God like you never have before? Can you go to the God who called Jesus Christ out of the grave and say, can you call love out of my dying heart? Can you soften this heart? I can't I guarantee that your spouse will respond, but can I beg you to respond? And I'm talking to a husband and a wife. Would you two get on your knees today before you put your heads on your pillow before God? And would you say, God, would you have mercy on our marriage? So much is at stake. Give your children a legacy that says, we know mom and dad had it tough, but they hung in there so that when they're married, they can look back and say, we can do it too. And create a chapter in your life that you can tell your grandchildren about and say, yeah, your granddaddy nearly drove me crazy a few times. I wanted to kill him, but you know what? We hung in there. And now we have soft hearts because if there's anything more beautiful than the young couple on the wedding altar with soft hearts, you know what's even more beautiful? That's that couple that have been married for 50 years and they have soft hearts toward each other. And that they... They love each other with genuine affection. And yes, the skin has wrinkled and the body sags. Maybe some of the old spark physically isn't there like it used to be. But let me tell you, there is a heart that when they, they, they finish each other's sentences, they smell like each other. They, well, that's probably not good, but they... They are one. They have continued that. And I believe with all my heart that God in heaven is looking down saying, look at this, what I intended. Way back in the garden of Adam and Eve, the garden of Eden, that's what I intended. So if you're thinking about getting divorced, can I beg you, can I beg you to trust the Spirit of God to save your marriage? If you've been divorced, can I remind you that God loves you, that He cherishes you, that he has no grandchildren, he just has grandchildren, just has children, that, that you're not a second-class citizen because you're divorced. You're not. Learn from it. Receive God's grace. Divorce is a sin. Greed is a sin. Arrogance is a sin. Pride is a sin. I'm guilty of three out of those. I've got arrogance, pride. What was the third? <laughs> Forgetfulness. Anyway. Divorce is a sin, yes. It's a sin among sins, though it's not the sin over all sins. It's a sin. So receive the grace of God. He still wants to use you. He still wants to redeem you and reclaim you. He still has plans for you. So receive that grace. Accept it. Let it go deep and then move forward.
Now, with all of that said then about marriage, maybe we can answer this second question even faster. And that has to do with sexuality or fidelity. What's wrong then with sex outside of marriage? Well, I think you're beginning, and you could probably answer that question yourself now, because you see, God's view of marriage is that it's a covenant, a covenant that demonstrates His devotion to us. It's the sweetest covenant that a person could ever enter into, and it's made by God. And one of the ways that we celebrate this covenant in God's plan is sex. In his eyes, sex is not shameful. In his eyes, sex is not dirty. In his eyes, from Scripture, sex is a gift of God, a good gift, but it's a wedding gift to be opened after that public declaration of marriage has taken place. You know why? Because sex is like nitroglycerin. It can either heal a heart or it can blow up a society. It is so powerful, so passionate, it engages and causes for such vulnerability and intimacy that if you distribute it wantingly or without respect to anybody who comes along, it does something deep within you. It, it, I'm not making this up. Just let me show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, 19 and 20. This is, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. First he says, flee sexual immorality. In the Bible, immorality is any kind of sexual activity outside of the covenant of a marriage between a man and a woman. Any kind of sexual activity, whether by thought or by action, outside of the covenant of a man-woman marriage. Anything outside of it. So that would include pornography. That would include uh, adultery. That would include homosexuality. Any activity outside of a man-woman marriage, Adam and Eve type marriage, any type of sexual activity is immorality. So Paul gives us this pretty strong verb here. He says, flee sexual, not flirt to a sexual immorality, but flee. The best way to deal with immorality is to run away from it. Lace up your tennis shoes and get out. Go as fast as you can. Don't get close to it. Do everything you can to prevent it. Why? Because, look at this, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he or she who commits sexual immorality sins against his or her own body. There is something about the act of sexual immorality or sex outside of marriage that just does something deep to us. It wounds us. It causes us to feel less valuable than we are called to be. It makes us feel, I don't know, it, there's something psychosomatic here. And I'm not sure where our psycho stops and our soma begins, where our brain stops and our body starts. But when you go in and you begin giving away something as precious as your vulnerability and your nakedness, 
to somebody without the protection of a covenant over that so that you know they'll be there in the morning and so that you know that they're not treating you like a, this isn't just a barnyard exercise of flesh on flesh or body on body, but that something's coming together here, of two souls coming together, celebrating that God has brought them together under the covenant of a marriage. Paul says when you don't use sex in that environment, it becomes the natural glycerin that blows up a society. But when it's used in the protected environment of a covenant, of assurance that I love you and you love me and we're in this thing for the long haul, then it becomes something that celebrates. Does that make sense? To actually re... That re... re what's the word I'm looking for? Rehearses. That, that demonstrates this covenant that we have. Did you know the Bible calls the, the, the marriage bed holy in the book of Hebrews? Holy is the marriage bed. So when you come into the marriage bed, it, it'd be right for a man and a wife to kneel at the side of the bed, even before uh, the, the sexual act, and say, God, ordain what we're about to do. This is from you. It's right. It's not shameful. It's not dirty. It's God's idea to unite that heart together. And under his protection, it is, sex is pictorial. It tells us how God loves the church. Sex is practical. It's how God populates the earth. Nobody gets here by FedEx. Everybody comes through God's sexual de de development. And sex is personal. It, it, it creates a promise between a man and a woman that celebrates the covenant that they've made. And so for that reason, verse 19 Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to have to wrap it up because I'm way out of time. But I've got to say this. The reason that the churches or God's call to sexual purity sounds so foreign in the United States of America in this era, the reason this sounds so different than any movie you see or book you read is for one reason. Society says... This is my body. I can do whatever I want with it. God says, that is my body. I can do whatever I want with it. So, see the difference? God says, your body is now the temple of my Holy Spirit. I live in you. And, I'm, and through you, I'm going to speak words of encouragement. And through you, I'm going to love people who are hard to love. Through you, I'm going to feed hungry people. Through you, I'm going to tackle world famine. Through you, I'm going to teach uh, the confused. I am indwelling you. You are the body of Christ now. So, consequently, flee immorality. And your body's not for that. It's for a protected, a respected version of sex. But don't just give it away. It's my body now. I live in there. I love you too much. When you get home today, look in the mirror and say, look, a temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in me. And for that reason, he says, you were bought at a price, verse 20. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Why did God give you a body? So you can make a big deal out of God. So you can make a big deal out of God. So use your body to glorify God. Do it within the protection and the covenant of that marriage. Now, if you have fallen here, let me just say quite abruptly, Jesus restores spiritual virginity. He does. And he's willing to start over with you. Confess, repent, say, Lord, I want to start over in this area of my life. I want to do better. And you better believe you're going to find the hands of the Father extended wide receiving you to come back. Okay, or 
God is a God of a second chance. The third last question, and we'll have to move through it somewhat quickly, comes from the Northside campus. Hey, Max, I'm April Clark from the North Central Campus, and something I struggle with and many of my single friends struggle with is how do we find a godly mate, the person that we know God wants us to be with? What does the Bible say about this issue? The big message the Bible gives us on this issue of selecting a mate is to love, is to find somebody who loves God more than you love God and to find somebody who loves God more than they love you. There's the perfect mate. Somebody who loves God more than you love God and somebody who loves God even more than they love you. You don't want to be the big deal in somebody else's life. You want to marry somebody who has God as the big deal in their life. And you come alongside and you partner with them and head in the same direction. Don't make the mistake of being a God follower and marrying somebody who's not. For the practical reason... When two people get in a car, they have to agree where the car is going. If one person says, we're driving this car to Monterey, Mexico, and somebody says, oh, no, we're driving it to Montreal, Canada, it's going to be a difficult trip, right? I mean, we're going to go a little bit and fight, a little bit and fight, a little bit and fight. At some point, at the outset, before you get in the car, you say, okay, where are we going in this car? So... God will give you, if he wants you to be married, he will give you somebody who is headed in the same direction you're going. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you as well. So say, Lord, grant me that husband, grant me that wife who loves you more than I love you, and even loves you more than they love me. I want somebody whose big deal is God. And on that basis, once that's decided, then the finances, the career, the kids, number of kids, how do you know where would all those can be made much easier once the big decision is made, right? Those of you who have happy marriages, could you give me an amen?